Daily Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 153, Will Flying Still Be Fun If I Make It My Career? And other listener mail coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Welcome to a special episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast where we answer your questions. Remember, you can always send in questions, comments, stories about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly by visiting our Facebook page, Twitter, or just sending us an email. It's a little bit different than the other email we've mentioned. We made it a little bit simpler. It's stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com. Pretty simple. Stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com. So that's the best way to get in touch with us. Uh, if you want to be a guest on the show, I know some people have asked, just send us an email describing you know what you want to talk about and uh, also links to your websites, etc. So uh, anyway, joining me uh, this evening are uh, some uh, people from all over the country who have survived a, a couple of hurricanes, just like everybody else that's listening right now. We have in Florida, Tom Frick and myself. Welcome, Tom. Hey, Carl, how you doing? And traveling up the coast next is uh, Victoria Nouvel. Welcome, Victoria. Hello. And then on up into the cold, well, it's not <laughs> that cold, but into no. the chillier northeast. <laughs> yes. Welcome. Where, hur- where hurricanes come to die. <laughs> where they come to fizzle out and go yes, away. Yes, It's Rick Felty. Hey, Rick. Hello. Hey. <laughs> and, uh, and someone who we just kind of scoot across the country, go a little bit further south from Rick, and we're out there in Oklahoma, is Russ Wasleski. Russ, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Carl. Yeah, we don't get many hurricanes out here, but we get their uh, smaller twin, the tornado. The tornado. Oh, my gosh. You can get a lot of those, too. It's amazing. Let's do the pre-flight. Well, it's great to have everybody on. Before we get started, a couple of uh, shout-outs and uh, sponsorship. Uh, again, our sponsor is AviationCareersPodcast.com, a career coaching page, and uh, helps people of all ages and backgrounds move towards their career goals. Check it out at AviationCareersPodcast.com slash careercoaching. Uh, also, a couple announcements, shout-outs, etc. I guess I, I'd be ris- remiss to not mention, as we know, we've moved to Lakeland. And a uh, big shout-out to the Lakeland Fire uh, and Rescue and also EMS. They did a wonderful job during the hurricane. I'm, uh, I'm actually just off the run- approach end of runway 23. 82nd Airborne is actually uh, at the airport still. Uh, helping with relief efforts along with a lot of other folks. Uh, but uh, after the storm, we had a, a lot of people came to my house, and we had uh, someone that got injured, uh, and they're doing fine. And it, it was a total of almost two weeks uh, that I had evacuees in my house, uh, maybe a little less than that, about 12, 13 days. And they just left yesterday. I have my house back, which is kind of cool. But uh, I will say it was quite the experience during this storm to learn how things operate, especially with EMS. And I know some people listening understand this. I didn't know this until I made the 911 call that they prioritize uh, during these big storms and any large event as to what's life-threatening, et cetera. And, of course, we were down on the list because, uh, you know, the person staying with us that was injured, it was not life-threatening. We were able to comfort her and all. And then, finally, uh, they helped us put her in the car, and we actually became our own ambulance. We, got, we actually went to the hospital. And what was interesting at the hospital is all these people that were there because they were all evacuees. Uh, little did the evacuees know, and even the ones that were staying with us, that we were going to be in the eye of the storm. And uh, it was was quite interesting prior to the storm, and I know uh, Russ and I had talked about this in another show about how everybody started evacuating airplanes. Absolutely amazing, uh, the events that took place here. So again, big shout out to uh, the folks at Lakeland Fire. Really appreciate what they've done for us here, and everybody's fine. We just sustained small damage. Actually, I think we maybe less than a few hundred dollars in damage i think or maybe about a thousand bucks of damage in the house so that's nothing compared to what people have had to go through with this storm um also another thing too 
We are going to be at the AOPA Fly-In, October 27th through 28th, and that's going to be in Tampa, Florida. I know I'll be there in the orange shirt. Uh, there's some other people at the podcast that might be there. I don't know if Tom Frick's going to show up or Russ. I didn't actually ask this before the show, but uh, possibly some other folks from the podcast will be there. So this will be basically our first meetup. We'll be at the AOPA Fly-In, October 27th and 28th. Because of the fact that, you know, with the storm and my moving, we haven't had been able to have a uh, meetup, but we're definitely going to do some more. We're going to make that the first one. So come out there, say hi. If you see me running around with a microphone and an orange shirt or any one of us, you know, just come up, say hello, and if you want to tell a story, hey, we'll put the mic on and talk to you. Also, right after that, that's October 27th and 28th, I'm a busy person this month, or next month, I should say, I'm also coaching the Polk State flight team, uh, which is competing in the Region 9 competition at Auburn University in Auburn, Alabama, and that starts in October uh, 30th through November 3rd. Uh, one of the things I'd like to reach out to you now and just mention is the fact that if you could, we could use any help possible. We've had, we've been down for quite some time, weeks actually, without airplanes. We got all the airplanes out, got them back in. And of course, our efforts to raise money were a little bit behind. I have a link uh, to help the Polk State Flight Team go out to the Region 9 competition. We have to raise our own money, obviously. And that link's on the website. Any little bit will help. If it's five bucks, $500 or $50, whatever you can do, that'd be wonderful. And there's a link there on how to actually donate money. It goes directly to the team. It doesn't go anywhere else. Uh, so it's directly to actually the team. All funds go to, to helping the team go to the competition. Um, and then the next one actually is a, an announcement from Victoria. What is that next event that you have here? Actually, it's an announcement for Turbo. Oh. Um, <laughs> we have the uh, third annual Paws and Planes event happening November 18th. Um, we used to have this at Frederick. Um, it's moving to Hagerstown this year to Ryder Gent Center. They have a beautiful facility that they are graciously letting us use. So big shout out to them. Um, if anyone's in the local area in Hagerstown, Maryland or nearby that wants to help out, just uh, send me a message. It's a lot of fun. Santa Claus flies in. Kids get to learn about aviation and animal rescue. And it's a big fun day at the airport. How far is that from uh, you and Frederick, just so we kind of get an idea? Um, flying, it's like 10 minutes. Driving, oh. it's about a half hour. It's just a hop, skip, and a jump. Very close. Awesome, awesome. So that's that's great. We'll have a link, by the way, in the show notes to everything we've talked about, especially the pause in planes. And uh, if Turbo could come on and just say hi real quick, that'd be awesome at some point. Say, hey, hi, Turbo. Turbo, <laughs> speak. He's giving me this look. Yeah, <laughs> so heck with you, buddy. <laughs> Who are you but, talking to? So he's he's a he's a rock star, you know. He doesn't need to talk. He's got you, the publicist, to talk for him. Yeah, <laughs> so, I am his people. Yeah, his people. He's sending his people out to the airport, and uh, and he'll be in, there in advance. So anyway, well, well, that'll be cool. I think it's really neat to learn about all the outreach that's uh, done with Paws and Planes and every other organization out there. It's really cool, uh, and it's neat to see that it's growing and they're doing so much for pets and animals in general so i've uh, i've actually run into quite a few people that have volunteered and it's really rewarding so i really i would say even if you can't make it to the event check it out it might be something you want to get involved with or help donate to uh, you know who who doesn't want to help out some of our fairy friends so pause and planes there that's going to be in november 18th well thanks for that now entering cruise flight Moving right along to cruise flight, uh, like I said, this is going to be our listener mail edition. Again, if you listen, if you're hearing this, send us your email, stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com. And let's get going because we have quite a few here. So we're going to try to keep this in within an hour. So let's start off with the first one. Like I said, if it's a comment, please send it to us, etc. First one comes in and says, I'm an Italian born private pilot currently living in the Czech Republic, right in the heart of Europe. First of all, I want to let you know how much I enjoy listening to your podcast. I first listened to one of the episodes while going on a jog a month ago, and now I'm completely absorbed by the great choice of topics and useful discussion. Great work. I've been passionate about aviation ever since I can remember, and three years ago I was able to get my single-engine pilot license flying mostly 172s here in Central Europe. I work a busy job in financial technologies, but whenever I work and weather allow, I love taking to the skies with family and friends. There's a question I wanted to bring to you, Carl, and the co-host of Stuck Mike, and it has to do with the passion for aviation we all share. 
Since I first started flying, I've been tempted to venture in some sort of aviation-related business, but always wondered if this could spoil the joys of flying as a private pilot. How much of the dream fades away once tight schedules, long nights, and financial pressures come into the picture? This is a really cool, cool uh, uh, question. I really like this. Uh, but anyway, he continues, given your experience as CFIs and professional pilots, I'm very interested in, in your view on this point. Please keep up the great work, and I'll be looking forward to listening to the next episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Well, thanks so much. So we, we have a real gambit here. This is what's, what's so neat about the podcast. We have people that are working in all different parts of the industry. You know, I, I've been working for quite some time, uh, f- since 1999, actually, as a professional pilot, working for the airlines. And uh, does it spoil it for me? And I've been doing it a while now. I still have a passion for aviation. I have a passion for general aviation. Uh, does it get old and tiresome sometimes yeah i'll I'll admit it does there are times when uh you see the same airport over and over and over again and uh you know no matter how many times you land at that that airport down in in st martin it uh it is exciting to see Uh, obviously right now it's pretty tough they're not going to be open that airport for a while but it is it is still pretty cool the people you meet and the things that you get to see are really what get to be exciting um and then it wanes. It does go. It's like anything else in life. It goes up. It goes down. What's interesting is I know Victoria. I'd like you to really weigh in on this because you're involved in aviation and you still have a passion for it. But you've got you've become involved in uh, another side of aviation. It's not particularly flying, but you do really enjoy the flying side. But the two commingle, and there's no real way to pull them apart. But you've been doing it a while, and, and I'm wondering, are you still passionate about aviation? I am extremely passionate. I think my type of passion has changed. But um, I really liked that this question was brought up because previously to me deciding, oh, wait, I can be a pilot for a career, um, I wanted to be a veterinarian. And I loved working with animals and being with animals. But after working with dogs for 10 years at a groom shop... I realized that I could enjoy animals without having to do it for a living. Um, actually, working at that groom shop made me change my mind about working with animals for a living. And I, it did kind of ruin the passion for me. Um, obviously, I still have the passion for animals today um, by what I do with um, in my spare time. But the same thing happened when I was on my route becoming a commercial pilot thinking I'm going to fly for a living when I landed a job in aircraft insurance. It was just meant to be temporary, but it gave me the time to sit down and think about, you know, here's an opportunity for a really good career. Will the same thing happen to me again if I wanted to fly for a living? Would I still have as much fun with being told where to go? Maybe I didn't feel like flying, but I had to go do it because it was my career. And so After lots of contemplation, you know, I decided to stay in aviation and insurance and not greatly pursue uh, commercial aviation. And I think the joy and the passion is just kind of different now. I, I get to fly for fun, but I still get to talk to pilots every day. I get to hear about the newest, latest aircraft. I I got to hear about basic med and be really keep up on that. So I'm right at the forefront of all the new things that are happening without actually having to fly, if that makes any sense whatsoever. But you do still do some flying on your own, so that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I always tell the pilots who call in um, for insurance, you know, yeah, I talk to you during during the week, I get to talk to pilots, but on the weekend, I am a pilot. And you have this this connection to the aviation industry, which is really cool, but in, in a different view. So I, I think the important thing when we're looking at your career is the fact that you still get involved and you still love aviation and it's changed over time and all of ours has changed our passion changes and then and how we look at the career changes because new things come about but it's really cool that you're actually still part of it because if you went into some other type of insurance you probably wouldn't be really involved on a daily basis you're involved on a daily basis both as your hobby and as your business and you're still passionate about it, which I think is really cool. Uh, and it's great to see some people are like that because 
there are people that just totally lose it and they're like i i, I hate a- aviation i hate flying i don't ever want to see an airport again and it's sad but it happens it's uh, a very sad person yeah, yeah. <laughs> that I, makes me sad it, and i unfortunately it happens you know i see it at work every so often and there's no stereotypical group but uh you know i was with somebody who used to fly F-18s, and now he's not real happy flying an Airbus because he doesn't get to go upside down. I said, well, with the money you're making flying the Airbus, why don't you buy an airplane that goes upside down? Problem solved right there. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that's great, Victoria. I also want to hear from some of the CFIs in the group here that are professional CFIs. And I know uh, Russ works, uh, you know, we don't really talk about your employer, but Russ, you work in aviation as a full-time job, but there's uh, the, gosh, it seems like you're working full time as a CFI. You're doing this really part time, but you're very, very, very active as a CFI. So, let me ask you this: Have have you lost that loving feeling, or are you still still into this? <laughs> no, no, I have not lost that loving feeling, Carl. Uh, I, I still absolutely love aviation and and everything about it. What I think for me has changed is, yeah, I've been flying for about 24 years now, and about the first oh 18 or 19 was just as a hobby pilot, like, like most of us, you know, I didn't have any career aspirations or anything. I just like to fly like our, uh, listener does. And so I would go to the, uh, you know, pancake breakfasts and the fly in lunches and all that kind of stuff. And I've noticed that, you know, since I became a CFI, I don't really do that much of that kind of thing anymore. Uh, I fly a lot more, <laughs> certainly, and, and I'm getting paid to do it, which is great. And I really enjoy teaching too. So it's not that I've lost the you know the joy of of flying or anything. It's just changed, kind of changed forms for me. And and it's it's also a, a perfectly great way. And and I love doing what I do. So uh, has have I have I lost that? No, I don't think so. It's just changed a lot. Like I said. Wow, it, it seems like there's a common theme here, is that our our passion has changed, and, and again, it's through experiences, and that's true with with anything in life. But that's cool. That's that's awesome. I know um, uh, Tom had totally just changed careers, and now he's full bore flight instructing. Uh, gave up his old job, and Tom, I'm wondering, you know, how about you? I mean, now you're into it. I can't remember how many years now, and uh, are you still really enjoying it? Yeah, it's been I don't know since since I've made it a career. It's been I don't know, two or three years now, um, and it was a it was a conscious decision to do that. Um, I wanted to uh, I wanted to become when, when I learned how to fly. I, I decided then that I wanted to become a flight instructor as kind of a retirement uh, gig, um, but my career ended before I wanted it to, and um, I was too young to retire. So, and that's what I did is I, I started doing this full time and I too, I, I have not lost the passion for this and, and, uh, it's, it's been awesome. I learn new things every day. Um, it has also changed for me as time goes on. I'm, I'm working as a full-time flight instructor. I also on the side do some, uh, charter work as well. And, uh, that's been a different aspect of flying lately that, uh, has been, um, rewarding and challenging all at the same time, but, but the passion for it is still there. Um. I have a I have a picture or a, it's a box that I found uh, in a little curio store one time and it says uh, it's a beautiful thing when a career and a passion come together and and that hangs over my desk because that's indeed what happened and I tell people that you know I mean I don't go to work anymore I show up someplace and they pay me to do what I love to do and and that's that's the difference with uh, what I was doing before I worked before because I had to I work now because I want to and and that's uh, what aviation has done for me and I love it. That's awesome. I want to. I want to see a picture of that. You got to send that to me. It's uh, that's really cool. I I want to get that for for near my desk. I, it's what's kind of interesting. I just had someone that reached out to me recently. I hadn't seen her in like thirty years, and and uh, said, "Boy, I'm glad you're now finally doing something you're passionate about." And it does truly change things. It really does when you're doing something you're passionate about. And you go to work every day, and you're and you're loving it. Um, you know, really another interesting thing about like with Rick is the fact that he's he's not really in aviation, but every so often right. it intersects. Uh, and I know, wasn't that long ago that you were able to use your talents to help an aviation company? Uh, I think it was in Southwest Florida. And uh, so so you, you still have that incredible passion for aviation, obviously, and you're not in it all the time, but every so often it does intersect in, in your world, in your job. 
Um, yeah, yeah, uh, it does every so often. Not not all that often. It is a, it is pretty much more discreet than you guys, and there's really not a lot of pressure from a business side. But I, I had a question because I this sort of relates to the idea of uh, the fun of flying versus the career of flying. And it's from it's because I I have a friend that I got re- reconnected with a friend from high school who I briefly got reconnected with on the phone who um, who turns out who turns out but in the gap of time we talked became a, um, you know, a is now a captain a pretty senior captain for an airline and um, and I at the time when we were talking it was learning you know it was learning to fly or I just got my license so I was all full of the you know small plane bouncing around fun stuff and asked him if he flew much and he generally his answer and i think i've talked about this in the show before was no i don't fly little little planes right now because i'm a, I'm, I'm my career matters too much and i'm nervous that i don't want to put my career in jeopardy do you know what i mean carl With, oh yeah yeah I'm, that, I'm not asking you yeah. but i'm saying that issue of and, and if you look at that it's it's the fun of flying kind of ha- the fun of flying little planes had to go away for him for and, right and that might be an interesting thing to, to, you know, another thing for people to think about that it maybe changes what you're able to do based on considerations you have to make, especially if it becomes a, a major career. Yeah, because you don't want to lose your license. And you think yeah, about that exactly. all the time. You think about that right. every time you go to work, too, uh, right. because, you know, sometimes you're asked to do things that you you shouldn't do, et cetera. But uh, that's a great point, Rick, though, because that's, I, he couldn't risk losing it because because it now mattered too much to his family. You so know, there was, it was, he, he didn't want to put that in jeopardy. So he, he doesn't, <laughs> and I think he misses it. Uh, but, uh, anyway, that's just a, a side note on this topic. I think, but, but that's a really important note because there, there's two ways of looking at that. I, and I find people, they either go out and they fly general aviation aircraft and they don't worry so much about it. And they are incredibly careful while they're flying GA, uh, and then there's the others that say, I will never go near a general aviation aircraft. And if I do, I'm not going to be the pilot in command. I'm going to have somebody else I fly with go with me. Um, so you definitely have two. It seems like there's two sides of that. I'm on the side of I go out and I fly uh, yeah. and I'm very careful. And I do. I go up with instructors a lot. If I don't know an area, I fly with them. Uh, but I understand because if, if you lose your license and – you lose your career, and that's yeah. that could really change things dramatically, especially as you get more senior and you make more yeah. money. It's exactly, it, and it I think that's the point. position he found himself in. Yeah, yeah, and anyway. that and that's that's a that's interesting. And oh, and by the way, this is I have a whole other podcast. This is where we talk about, and that's aviationcareerspodcast.com. But but this is kind of cool because this is more a general aviation uh, venue, and I think it's important that we realize that there are two totally different sides of things. There's people who've never actually flown an airplane and and did it for fun. They've only been paid to fly airplanes. And I fly with a lot of folks like that. From day one, that's all they did, and especially the, the folks that were in the military. And some of them really didn't have that passion. They said, well, let me just give it a try, see if it works out. And, and it has. So most of us, though, do it as a – it's a real passion for us. But we also, when it is a passion, we tend to go into it as a career, and then also we're so so scared. I, I know people tell me they they can't believe they actually fly GA. You know, why would you ever do such a thing and and put your career at risk? Well, we also put our career at risk at work. I know I understand. There's there's some protections we have at work that we don't have in the general aviation world. So, um, but a wonderful wonderful point that you brought up there. Uh, but anyway, there, that's actually a great question, and I'm glad we answered it here on Stuck Mike Avcast. And I know some of those folks that are listening uh, do listen to the other podcast, and uh, you know the folks that are floating around uh, in uh, the aircraft carriers right now. We appreciate what you're doing. I know a lot of folks are listening now uh, that are on out there serving our country. We appreciate your service. I'm wondering what uh, what those folks feel. I mean, they they actually been doing it for a living. And uh, you know, looking to get into the airlines, and you know, are they are they worried about the same thing, uh, losing their passion? So I'd love to hear some feedback on that one. So great question, uh, we appreciate it. And I know you made a comment that you're not a a native English speaker, uh, but uh, you know, we we <laughs> you, it was a spot on question. And by the way, uh, it was great what you wrote to us. So 
you know, cheers, uh, you know, or ciao, ti vediamo. We'll, we'll talk to you again next episode on that uh, topic. Hopefully, you'll f- uh, give us some more feedback. Uh, anyway, moving on, let's go on to the next question here. I want to make sure we try to get through as many as these as we can. Um, next one actually is uh, just a quick uh, comment. He says, Thank you for helping me to keep my commutes lively and entertaining with you and your cohorts, always producing great podcasts. As an, an inspiring future private pilot, your services are well received. Well, I really, really appreciate that. That was that was awesome, and I'm glad we're making uh, people or helping people <laughs> make their commutes a lot shorter. Uh, so let's go on to the next question. This is a good one, and I want uh, Russ is going to comment quite a bit on this one at the end uh, of the question. So let me read this, and uh, this comes from somebody. Uh, and by the way, if you do write in, we take off your name and all. We try to keep privacy uh, a, a key to this podcast, and your privacy is really important. So we uh, we take a few things out. But uh, this person says they're based out of Old Bridge, New Jersey, and when President Trump is in Bedminster, New Jersey, my airport is just inside by two or three miles the outer ring of the presidential tfr uh and by the way that's a a really cool spot medminster that's right uh, where i grew up and actually used to fly over that all the time and there's another airport right close to that uh where it's a little bit tougher for them because they're they're right there all the time when he is in bedminster but uh, he continues uh to depart my airport vfr the faa requires me to number one squawk a discrete code number two be in two-way radio contact with ATC, and number three, be on an active VFR flight plan. Uh, my question revolves around number three. Number one, and so he goes, given that ATC has no idea whether or not I'm on a VFR flight plan, what is the reason for filing and opening one? And the second question is, given that my airport is inside the TFR, how do I open my VFR flight plan before I take off in order to be compliant with number three above, number three being the fact that you have to be on an active flight plan. Uh, due to my airport's proximity to the edge of the TFR, I'll be out of it before I even get contact flight service, and I don't want to be doing that below 1,000 feet in congested airspace anyway. How do I stay safe and legal? Thanks, and keep up the good work. Well, uh, I think, Russ, you have a comment to make on this and uh, just, a, just a slight little uh, variation of, of uh, what sh- he should be doing. So, uh, Russ, take it away. Yeah, I think some of the uh, uh, misunderstanding here is, is on a very specific word. And his question is he must be on an active VFR flight plan. And that's not actually quite correct. Uh, the text of the, the presidential notum is, is pretty standardized. And if you go... You know, so find any one of them and and read it. You'll see that the the actual word used is for be on an active IFR or a filed VFR flight plan. Uh, so the use of the term filed VFR flight plan just means you have to have one in the system. It doesn't say it has to be active or opened. Um, the the listener is correct that of course ATC has no idea whether or not you filed a VFR flight plan. Uh, of course, however, that's well, that's the requirement in the TFR notum. <laughs> so um, as long as you filed one, I guess you're okay. Uh, you do have to be uh, squawking a discrete transponder code before departure. So you're going to have to get that from ATC before you go, whether that's um, calling you know, clearance delivery on the phone or you know, IFR, IFR pilots are used to doing that, but VFR pilots certainly may not be. Uh, but of course, as far as ATC is concerned, as long as you're getting radar service and are squawking the right code, and of course are complying with all the other provisions of this TFR, uh, they have a lot in there, such as no flight training, no practice instrument approaches, those kind of things. Uh, I, I think you'll be fine. And, and I, we've, we don't get these TFRs too often out here in Oklahoma, but we do get them, and it has. Uh, we have had to kind of brief you know some of my students and such about how to operate with them. So. I think that'll help the listener. And uh, yeah, the, the key word is filed, not active VFR flight plan. Right. And and just to clarify what you said, as far as no flight training or practice in student approaches, that's within the TFR. You can fly somewhere else and go do your flight training and come back, right? 
that I think that would be reasonable. Yes. Okay. Because I think some people might say, oh, my gosh, I can't do any flight training at all. No, no, no. It's just in that TFR. You need to go somewhere else. And and, uh, I know that question has come up before. That's kind of why I'm making that point is the fact that, yes, you can go ahead and do flight training. Just do it somewhere else. And that's what you need to do. You need to squawk, talk, get out, and then come back in, do the same thing. So uh, good stuff. I really think that TFRs are uh, something that's, you know, always going to be here to stay because of the fact that we have so many, we have disasters, we have uh, presidential movements, etc., and it can be a real pain in the butt, but uh, it sure beats violating one because that can be really, really interesting. I know I've told the story before of one of my students who, uh, he went out and got his commercial pilot certificate, he busted a TFR, had to do everything all over again. He had to take his private, his instrument, his commercial check rides over again. So that was kind of sad. Uh, actually, I don't think I had to do the instrument, he had to do the commercial over, so. So a lot of cost to him, and he couldn't actually fly. I think they made him uh, stop flying for about six months is uh, how long it was. So anyway, thanks for the question. Great stuff. I appreciate it. And uh, it is pr- it's pretty cool to see all the helicopters, all the air- airplanes around. Obviously, I go visit uh, my family's up there in Air Bedminster, New Jersey. Uh, but it also can be a little bit of a challenge for us uh, flying GA, especially in that, that TFR zone, and especially for some of the flight schools there. So, so we do feel for all you folks that are out there doing that. Uh, moving on to the next one is actually a comment. And by the way, you can always post comments on the on the website, stuckmikeavcast.com, and that's where this comes in. And his comment is, it says, I enjoy your podcast, guys. As a glider pilot, I especially enjoyed the episode with Jim G. I thought I'd recommend a couple of videos if you're interested. The first one is on a montage of soaring flights in the Alps. It's truly a work of art, and here's a link. By the way, these links we're going we're gonna to put in the show notes in the podcast, so this is uh, what he's talking about. It Actually, they are pretty cool. I took, took a look at them, and uh, really neat stuff. He has another one. It's the, uh, uh, a video uh, for, uh, with a bunch of you, you know, young members that they put together at the Soaring Club and the Texas Soaring Association, and I thought that was really, really interesting. Uh, so that, that's another one. You should check out and uh, he continues he said he thought jim did a good job of explaining soaring but i think it's hard to convey just how far and fast gliders can fly so here's a link to part of one of the races of the 2014 fai soaring grand prix and that's also a neat little link by the way that's another thing that i've uh, uh really looked into doing le- recently because the neat thing about where i'm living is i'm only 40 minutes away from uh, two different glider ports and i i'm seriously thinking of finishing up my soaring or my gliding rating and it is a lot of fun and it's really neat i did not realize also how far (laughs) these uh, aircraft and gliders can fly and how for how long it's amazing some of these people are up there for hours anyway he uh, continues i hope you enjoy these and uh, can you link these videos in the comments of episode 147 Uh, we'll do that and we also will do that in this episode too so thanks so much for the videos i love when people share cool videos that are fun and a lot of fun with flying uh, and people that are real passionate about aviation put the Together some really cool videos, so please share them with us. Even those folks that you uh, you maybe watch and you think there's a real good one, so send those in to us. Uh, awesome, we love Jim G, and we're going to definitely have him on again. He's a terrific person. Uh, anyway, continue on. The uh, next question coming in, and again, uh, uh, Russ and I will will get into this, and also I'd like to you know anybody else wants to you know tack into this, we'll answer. We have too long a long and a short answer. I I'll let I don't know if we'll I'll do the short one first, but here we go. Uh, I got a, a pilot who was flying into Fort Lauderdale ask this question. Uh, and the Fort Lauderdale airport was that the major airport, the, uh, the international airport there. And he asks, uh, why is there an RNAV GPS Y runway 28 right and another approach flight that says RNAV GPS Zulu to runway 28 right? You know, what's the significance of the Y and the Z in the name? And uh, that was kind of his question. I thought that was that was kind of interesting. And uh, uh, it, Russ, do you want me to you want to start with the long answer? Or do you want to do the short answer here? Well, if we give them the short answer first, they might not listen to the okay, long answer. Okay, let's do the Carl's. long answer. <laughs> good, good point, Russ. So, Russ, take it away, and I'll, I'll let okay. you do the long answer, then I'll get to the short version. Oh, okay, yeah, you, you get the good one. All right. So, <laughs> the 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 question was, uh, of course, why are there a Yankee and a Zulu uh, approach at this airport? Well, actually, at at Fort Lauderdale Airport, uh, there 
there are actually two different types of RNAV procedures. They're not both RNAV GPS procedures. The Yankee is an RNAV GPS, and the Zulu is an RNAV RNP right. type procedure. Um, you, when you look at the plate, they look kind of similar. It uses a lot of the same uh, symbology and such. So you might not have first noticed that they are actually different things. Uh, RNAV GPS is what most general aviation pilots are used to. We train in, we practice, we, you know, LPV minimums and all that. An RNAV RNP procedure, though, requires a pretty advanced level of equipment. The aircraft's got to be certified. The pilot's got to be trained. The the operator has to have certain procedures. Uh, there's a bunch of limitations. You're not going to see the equipment to fly an RNP procedure in a normal general aviation airplane. We're talking, you know, more like uh, you know business jets and above. Um, in fact, at the bottom of the RNF RNP Zulu per approach in question, the words authorization required are way at, at the bottom there. So, uh, what, this was one of those cases where if you're not sure whether you're authorized, it likely means you aren't. <laughs> okay. Cause all this training and stuff you would have to go through to be authorized, you would know. Uh, there is an advisory circular 90-101A that, uh, contains what's required to get approval to do that but you just a quick look through it shows you it's not really something for a 172 uh, so essentially you can ignore any procedure you see with rnav rnp in the title unless you know you're allowed to to fly those but the more general question here is what is the difference between a yankee and a zulu procedure because sometimes you see an rnav gps y and z procedure to the same runway both of which you can fly with your Garmin 430W or whatever you have. Um, often, this is just because one procedure, and it's usually the Z version, the Zulu version, will have lower minimums or sometimes a slightly different design. It might have LPV minimums, whereas the Yankee only has LNAV. The Zulu might allow lower DA or MDA, uh, maybe only if the aircraft can meet a uh, increased climb gradient on the misapproach or the misapproach design might be different. It could be any of a number of things. Uh, you can even see more than just Yankee and Zulu. Uh, Rifle Colorado, uh, if anyone wants to look it up, it's uh, Romeo India Lima, R-I-L. Romeo 26 has RNAV GPS W and X and an RNAV R&P, Yankee and Zulu. So it's got four types of RNAV approaches there. Uh, and you if you look at them, you'll see that the difference between them all are kind of some of the things I just discussed. Uh, LPV, LNAV, misapproach climb gradients, different fixes, and, and that kind of thing. Uh, so when you're loading a procedure in your GPS, we'll, we'll assume um, we're talking about a, a normal uh, light general aviation aircraft here. You really need to pay attention to which letter you're selecting. So at rifle, you load it up in your, say, your 430 or 530W or even, you know, the 650, 750 or, you know, the, the Avidine offerings or anything else. It shouldn't show the RNAV RNP approaches because you can't fly them. They're not loaded in there. But it will show the RNAV GPS W and X. So you got to make sure you pick the right one, obviously. Uh, but it's a great question. And now, Carl, your turn for the simple answer. Yes, I, I get the simple one. But but to go back, I think this was a great explanation, by the way, that you did. And Thanks. and also the fact that one of the things you have to, and you pointed this out, and I want to go back to that, if it's not in your database, you can do it. Uh, some people have have databases that don't have all these in there. And even you would think they'd have the simple ones like the GPS. Certain databases don't have the GPS. They'll only have the RNP. Um, one of the databases I have is similar to that. At my work, uh, that it's like that. So I don't even have the GPS approach. And I thought that was awesome. And of course, another thing you brought up, and I think uh, some people will ask this question, so we might go into it just a little bit, is you talked about some of them having different missed approach climb gradients and fixes on the missed approach. Uh, so there are some differences there. Remember that you have to look at the – don't assume – that you can do the missed approach on every single approach plate. You have to make sure that you can, you can actually comply with that climb gradient. And that's something that I think we don't think about often if we don't fly in those areas that have hills and terrain at the other end of the runway. And I think it's important for us to maybe go back and review that. So if you're somebody who flies in Florida where there, there is no terrain, <laughs> then you might want to go take a look and, and just review what that is. And I think those were some really cool examples. So, so I really like that. So 
now I'm going to give you the answer that you give to the examiner when he asks you or she asks you that question because you want to give them the shortest answer so you don't hang yourself because then they go down into the whole the scheme of things and, and down this rabbit hole. But uh, one of the things, if you look at, and I always point people this to this point, uh, it's the Instrument Procedures Handbook. I think it's really cool. In Chapter 4, there's a thing called Naming Conventions, and it talks about straight-in approaches as another title. Uh, and basically, if there's two or more straight-in approaches with the same type of guidance existing for a runway, the letter suffix is added to the title of the approach so that it can be easily identified. Uh, these approach charts start with the letter Z and continue in reverse alphabetical order. And uh, so Z, Y, W, let's see, yeah, I can't do it. But I, it goes backwards, so that's that's how it works there. So yeah, that that's a simple answer. It's, uh, you know, two or more approaches with the same type of guidance exists for that runway, and that's why they have a different suffix, starting with Z and going backwards in the alphabet. Uh, so that's a simple answer, but I really, uh, that was really cool though. Uh, and we will also have, by the way, uh, I know uh, Russ will give me links, and we're gonna have those in the show notes, so you can look at those examples. So those are really good examples. Uh, uh, let's see. Do we have time? Yes, we do. We have time for another question. Actually, it's a couple of questions from the same person. Uh, this was actually one that was called in to me, so I, I actually had to, uh, uh, you know, you know, write these down and put them on a piece of paper and type them up. But anyway, um, I get from a listener. And, and the listener asked a couple questions. I think they're kind of indirect, but um, it went down this little, like I said, rabbit hole. First of all, he asked, can I instruct without a commercial pilot certificate? And also, do I need a commercial pilot certificate uh, to become a CFI? The second question is easier. Uh, Russ, uh, to become a CFI, uh, you definitely, you, yes or no, you need to have the pilot cert- commercial pilot certificate. Yes, it's pretty clearly spelled out. You need to you need to have that to become a CFI. Absolutely. Okay. And now the next one is: Can I instruct without a commercial pilot certificate? Which is kind of interesting. And we're again, we're just talking. He he's a, a private pilot. And I know there's many other different ways you can go down this route, and we'll talk a little bit about that because I, I think some people are going to yell and say, "Oh, wait a minute! How about other things?" Uh, so can, yeah, yeah. There, there so that's where that's where you're yes. that's where you're not. I think your answer is going to be, "Can I instruct without a commercial pilot certificate?" And your answer is, "It's." What? Not really, or maybe. Well, yeah. I mean, well, <laughs> anybody can teach anybody right. anything at any time, right? Right. You know. Right. So you can. Yeah, I think the the um, the listener was asking, "Can I, you know, officially flight instruct without a commercial license?" Mm-hmm. The answer to that is no. But of course, you know, you can teach anybody anything you want. You know, it just doesn't necessarily count for you know towards a rating or such. Um, but then. I think, uh, Victoria, you brought up an interesting point about my previous answer. wasn't quite correct, was it? Yeah, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, sport pilots mm. can be flight instructors for only sport pilots only. So it's a sport pilot flight instructor rating. I've only seen a few of them, but they're out there. Cool, cool. That's awesome. I'm glad, glad you brought that up. And uh it's interesting. Can you instruct without a commercial pilot certificate? Uh, yes. All you need is your ATP, and you can work for an airline. You don't need your. You don't even need a CFI to teach. You can just be an ATP and be teaching at an airline without any flight instructor certificate, and uh, you can actually become an examiner too without that. So it's kind of interesting. There's there's a lot of little caveats. I know we're probably talking more along the lines of somebody asking that question if they're you know wanting to to become a cfi at the local flight school is i think really where this was going it was kind of a general question so i'm not really sure what the intent was but we're gonna we're gonna kind of take it that way another really cool thing that came up is um and, and during the conversation wanted to, he wanted to know if they can the person or anybody can get the commercial pilot certificate without an instrument rating. And you can, but there's there's a couple things, isn't there, Russ? There's a few limitations. Well, there's a lot of limitations. I mean, mostly based around, uh, yeah, well, I'll give you, the I guess, the typical example that's pretty much, I think, about all you could do. Uh, you wouldn't be able to fly, you know, long distances or fly for, uh, you know, people from point A to point B so much. But I know of a couple situations where somebody owned some kind of a, you know, popular warbird aircraft, a T6 or something like that. And they wanted to give rides at air shows. So the, they didn't have their commercial certificate. They didn't have an instrument rating, but they passed their commercial check ride. 
they had the limitations on it uh, that you, you can't, you have to stay within a certain radius of your uh, of where you take off. So he would fly to air shows, you know, just as a <laughs> private pilot or whatever, and then he would do rides uh, using his commercial certificate without an instrument rating, which was perfectly legitimate. And then he'd, at the end of the day, he'd fly back just as a as a private pilot, Part ninety one operation. So uh, there are some limited areas of work, but if you're trying to get any real uh, I shouldn't say real. I guess that was real, but 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 any of the more normal uh, em- employment opportunities, uh, you w- you do need an instrument rating on your commercial certificate, and that that's assuming that's airplane specific. I mean, you know, we're you know, helicopters and that kind of stuff is would be different. Yeah, and that and there's very few people that don't uh, have their instrument rating and have the commercial license because it is limiting. And it's also, uh, usually we suggest not to do that because of the fact that you need to build some of those hours, so why as well go get your instrument rating anyway while you're building those hours. But if you don't have access to one, hey, that's you can do it. You can actually get your commercial pilot certificate without the instrument rating. Uh, also, as the discussion came in, I wrote down another question he asked. He asked, uh, do I need a medical to instruct? No, you can sit here and teach people all day long. And I think what he's really saying is, do I need my medical to instruct in an airplane? And if so, what class medical do I need? Uh, it One of the things that uh, I just love bringing this up, I have a, a real good friend and uh, who passed while, away a while ago, and he used to fly with the American Volunteer Group, uh, and uh, actually they're called the Flying Tigers, and he was rather old, and he, his medica- medical went away. He had like 25,000 hours. He couldn't get his medical. Was he teaching? He was teaching all the time. He just uh, had to make sure that uh, he was in the airplane with someone that actually could fly as as a pilot in command of that aircraft. Uh, he also couldn't have that person go under the hood and because he couldn't be PIC and the person, is, it was actually his granddaughter he was teaching how to fly, uh, would actually come in the simulator with me. And it was really quite interesting because here's this person with all this knowledge but couldn't fly, couldn't instruct because he didn't have a medical. Um, but th- And this is, I know, Rush, you... Uh, you said this too that you're limited to students, but I know Tom had done a lot of research on this. And before I asked Tom this, one of the things that that you have to make sure of is you know what you're doing when the FA comes. Because when I was working as assistant uh, chief instructor at one of the flight schools in Texas, I had the FA come up and they were going to shut us down because a lot of our flight instructors only had a, a third class medical. And uh, they said, well, you you can't be teaching right now. It's like, no, no, this is correct. And we had to go through the whole process. But make sure you know what you're talking about and you can go to the references and find those references as to whether you can or cannot uh, teach with that third class medical. So, Tom, I know you did a little research lately and I thought it was kind of cool. And we, t- we discussed it a little. Maybe there's some more information. But, um, you know, as far as as being able to teach and your medical, you you discovered a few things. So maybe you could share some of that with us. Yeah, I was um, yeah just kind of poking around with it. It was a question that came up, and and uh, was trying to figure out what would be a you know how I could or how someone could keep on teaching if they were um, um, if lost a level of their medical. And um, you know, uh, I had a little. Of, it was actually me. I had an overlap, and I went from a third class, a second class, back down to a third class. But I was still able to be PIC of the aircraft. And as long as you can fulfill those functions, you were. I was still able to keep on teaching. Now, it, it um, it, it's that level where you don't have the medical that, uh, like you were saying, this other instructor that had to go through and and make sure that everybody that he was flying with was capable of being PIC, and it, and it limited what type of instruction that he could do. But he was still flying, wasn't he? Yeah, sure was. And by the way, if your if your medical's revoked, you can still teach. You just. Uh, in general, we just can't really sign people's logbooks and be out there being the pilot in command, that type of thing. And uh, But it's really, if you have a ton of experience and you lost your medical, still get out there and teach. I really encourage that. We have people at the college who lost their medical years ago, and they're still teaching classes. They're teaching ground school. Uh, they're getting in the airplane. They're getting in the simulators. And uh, they, they're limited, you would think, by what they can teach, you, you would think. But really, they're not. They're giving so much knowledge and experience to these pilots. Uh, they just can't get in the airplane with a student pilot, but 
they can get on the ground and teach them. They can, after they get their private, they can get up with them and talk to them and, and discuss instruments, how to do an approach. You don't have to be under the hood to, to discuss that approach. And now that we have simulators, we can do it rather inexpensively. So I really encourage you, if you're listening, if you lost your medical, uh, had it revoked, et cetera, please, you know, do, do help. And if you, you love to teach, go ahead and help people, help them move forward in their you know, and they're flying and uh, help them get their licenses. And uh, I think it's just really cool to see that you still have that passion. I know I do that. I take people up flying that I can't fly anymore, and I used to love to do that. People have lost their their uh, medicals, and I've learned a lot from those people just from their experiences. Well, guys, this has been great. I mean, there's a lot of questions we, we were able to finally get through. Uh, appreciate everybody's patience. Some of these questions are a little bit old because of the fact that we, we weren't able to cycle through them, but we are now on track, uh, finished all the questions we had. Please write in stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com. Also go to the Facebook and the Twitter account, uh, facebook.com slash stuckmikeavcast, and also on twitter.com uh, slash stuckmikeavcast. Ask your questions there. We'll answer them. Also put comments on the website. We really appreciate that. Now moving on to our picks of the week we haven't done a pick of the week for a little while here so uh let's move on there the first person up oh that would be me actually is uh my pick of the week and i think it's because of the fact that i just moved here and there's actually a picture of the plane i fly on the front of the page so you can take a picture take a look at that uh there's uh, is lakeland linder airport it's lakelandairport.com i uh, like i said i just moved here and absolutely am very impressed with gene conrad the person who manages the airport and all the things that are going on right now they were actually able to win a few contracts there's a couple things coming up in the future they really can't talk about but it's very exciting looks like we might get some bigger airplanes as far as maintenance is concerned and also there's some large companies doing some experiments with shipping and airplanes here and the other neat thing that happened is Noah just moved the Hurricane Hunters. That's Noah moved the Hurricane Hunters uh, to Lakeland Linder. This is a little different, of course, than the Air Force folks that uh, fly, but uh, they also uh, go into the eye of the storm, and it is really cool to see what they do. So please check out the website. They also have a neat little video that they just released about the airport and all the neat things that they do over there. So lakelandairport.com. And, of course, uh, you know, that's where Sun and Fun is, too, and that's kind of neat. Uh, anyway, next up is Russ. Russ, what is your pick of the week? Well, my pick of the week is something that uh, has been in beta testing for quite a while now. It's uh, the uh, NOAA, the uh, aviationweather.gov, their their graphical area forecast. And we know that the uh, area forecast, the, the, the text version, which we've all known to, to, to love in the past and learn and all, is is going away and they have been, I guess, demoing or betaing the graphical version of that. And it, it's finally, I, I guess it's out of, out of beta status and it's, it's on their webpage. We've got the link in there, but, uh, but it's pretty neat because it takes that, that text version of the area forecast and, and puts it in a graphical form. And one of the things that you get from the area forecast that you can't get from any other forecast is cloud tops, right? So uh, on this, you know, this version here, I've got just an area of the country and it doesn't matter where, where right now it's showing that the clouds are overcast at 3000. Well, that's great information, but how high are they? That would make a difference, <laughs> you know, whether I'm going to be able to fly in the clear or have to fly IFR. What, what it says is the tops are at 12,000. So that certainly might affect uh, my flight planning through the area I'm looking at. But so that, that that's the uh, graphical uh, area forecast on aviationweather.gov. Aviationweather.gov. There's a lot of really good information out there, and I like that little graphic. It's pretty cool, so glad to see that. Thanks for that one, Russ. Uh, next person up is Rick. What is your pick of the week? Well, continuing with the weather theme, um, I think over the course of the show, several of us have, have mentioned uh, different websites. Um, I, I don't remember all the URLs, but you'll you'll recognize the description, which is you know, basically global animated depiction of wind, um, which is especially fun to look at when you're not in a hurricane and there is a hurricane because, um, you, you know, it's pretty amazing 
what you can see. Well, there's there's a website called windy.com, which I would recommend people go to, um, which is great. The, the, the incredible dense amount of uh, information um, there, including including specifically for, for aviation. But in addition, there's an app. Um, and so we'll put that link in the show notes. And it's a, I'm, I, I don't know if there's an Android app, but there definitely is an iOS app. And it's got some great... Um, it's, it's got some great detail in terms of not just current conditions um, with visual depiction of things, but um, but also forecasts and, and some pretty detailed um, chart-based uh, descriptions of what to expect from. And it doesn't have cloud tops, I'm sure, but it does have um, it does have pretty much everything else, and it's meant for kind of a variety of things like uh, sport. There's a sport aviation website that's out there that has some of this content too. So this is surf, you know winds or you know airplane as well as just general weather it's a very detailed weather app um with some great visualizations so i would highly recommend it it's called windy uh the app is just called windy it's in the app store and the website if you want to check it out which has basically everything that's in the app in a web version for free is windy.com so i would recommend uh poking around at that you can you know you can drop pins on the map to see wind speed um at that point, uh, so for instance, if I drop a pin right near the the what is the remnants of I guess Jose, you know, it's a hundred right near the eye, it's one hundred and eighty uh, miles an hour. I guess that's not really remnants, anyway. No. Um, but uh, some good stuff there, and uh, I love the app. So there you go, check it out. Yeah, very cool. I was watching along while you were doing that. It is that is yeah. awesome. I mean, there's getting a getting a little breeze from it there, but uh, yeah. it's it's pretty uh, pretty oh. strong off the shore there. And that visualization is cool. You can you can drag the forecast bar to days in the future and see where things will be you know it's it's a it's it's just a simplified version of the forecast maps um by day uh and so it's pretty cool wow that is pretty neat that's awesome and so the app works uh similarly i haven't seen the app but the website's really cool Exactly. Um, okay. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Rick. That's a great one. Uh, I love those visual representations of the wind. That's that's really really neat. Uh, next pick of the week is uh, Victoria. What is your pick of the week? Yeah, it's funny. The other day I was talking to a relatively uh, newly certified pilot, and I said something about Bob Hoover, and he went, "Who?" And once I picked my jaw off the floor, I said, you have to go watch Flying the Feathered Edge. And I watched it again. And um, it's a documentary all about Bob Hoover. Talks about his whole entire life. um, Things that happened during World War II. Air shows, start to finish. Harrison Ford's in it. Sean Tucker's in it. Um, Just a great tribute to a remarkable man that every pilot needs to know his name. And uh, we're going to try to get the, that name out there even more. I'm glad you brought this up because we actually have a few copies that were given to us and uh, for review copies. And I'm trying, as I moved, I, I think I found them in the box finally. And we were going to actually uh, give them away as a, a raffle. So uh, the, you'll see it in the future. But that same video, it's on DVD. We have a few copies and we're going to start giving them away. Uh, I'll, uh, we'll have further information about that. And we're not sure how we're going to do that. It's going to be either uh, the you know certain number of Facebook likes, et cetera, or, or a number of people that the, we haven't figured that out, but uh, definitely look f- look uh, for that dra- raffle drawing in the future. So, uh, what a neat fellow! What an uh, an amazing performer, real humble guy, and uh, it was just uh, amazing to watch him in air shows. And it's it's just so neat to watch that video. Got to check it out. Thanks for that, Victoria. Our next uh, pick of the week, Tom. What is your pick of the week? Yeah, so I had I had a pick of the week, and and uh, it's kind of morphed into something else. So. Um, I use Cloud Ahoy, and it's a it's a debriefing software, and and we could probably have a discussion one night just on that. But um, Cloud Ahoy itself is doing a, a promotion right now. They've uh, joined forces with Lightspeed headsets, and they're doing this thing called the Wild Blue Doodle, and it's actually pretty cool. I don't know if you've ever seen any of these things before, where people actually go out and fly a course, and it ends up making a picture, and. Um, some of these things are, are actually pretty cool. By the time this publishes, you'll probably only have a day or two to go out and do this if you want to jump into it. So a uh, little, um, you know, it was kind of a short notice thing, but 
the ones that are in the lead right now, some of these things are like really cool. Some guy flew and uh, drew a picture of a Diamond DA-40 and did it in a D Diamond DA-40. Um, somebody else did a, um, a Howling Wolf. Somebody did a Texas Longhorn and then drew the state of Texas around it. Somebody actually, they're giving us away a, a Zulu uh, 3 ANR headset. That's what they drew was a, a Zulu 3 headset. Somebody drew the head of an eagle. I mean, some of these pictures and, and just really creative. And, um, you know, for nothing else, it's just something cool. You can actually click on these things and you can go out and you can play the flight and see exactly how they flew it and how they did it and where they did it. It was something just kind of neat. So hope you enjoy it. Yeah, that's awesome. As a matter of fact, when this comes out, you have, what, another two or three days uh, to be still be in this competition. But in general, what a what a neat thing. Uh, I know we've all seen some of those uh, on on the internet and Twitter, the the tracings of all the different aircraft and flight aware, but uh, this is this is really neat. Uh, so I really and we uh, hats off to Lightspeed, by the way, about putting this together. I think that's really cool too. So uh, and that they can find that at uh, what is it the Cloud Ahoy website? They can find that. Yeah, you can go to the Cloud Ahoy website, and I got a I got a link directly to this Wild Blue Doodle as well. Okay, cool. We'll have that on the. Uh, on the page and uh, on the website, and I really appreciate that. And also, of course, we're going to have all the different uh, links that are mentioned in the podcast. And those approach plates, too, we'll have those, all the links to that. Also, uh, video of the week uh, is actually a video from Facebook. I have a link to that. And that is the NOAA Hurricane Hunters. They're actually now flying out of Lakeland. They did a recent, uh, it was Irma. They did a recent video of flying into the eye of Irma. And it's really wild. It doesn't have any audio, unfortunately, but it's really cool to watch them as they go through the eye and tip the wing up and you can look up to the center of that, uh, of that hurricane, which is just so impressive, but really cool stuff. Well, folks, I really appreciate you listening. Got from all of us here at the Stuck Mike Avcast, we appreciate you and, and your flying, and we'd love to hear your stories. And if you want to be on, a, on the podcast, just, just write us, and uh, we'll look at your story and uh, have you on at some point. We have a video about how to be a guest on the podcast, and you can watch that and, uh, and then schedule yourself for the podcast. And we'd love to have you and hear your stories uh, what you're doing in aviation, if you're somebody that has a product, a service, uh, we'd love to have you on and uh, and talk to you about what you do. If you're with Cloud Ahoy or, or any of the other organizations, we, we want to speak to you. Also, just please go out there and remember this is, it's fun, you know, about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Don't lose that passion for aviation. It, of course, as you notice, changes over time, like we've all said, but we still all have it. And uh, we hope you do, too. We'll talk to you next episode, and safe flying. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.